Wonderful. Turn with me to uh, Romans chapter 15. Who's doing the overheads here? Michelle. Michelle is fast. All these guys are fast. I actually turn in my Bible and everyone's there before I get there. Romans 15, let's pray before we get into the Word. Lord, we thank you for your presence this morning. Thank you for what you're doing. Holy Spirit, you're the one who breathes life, but you also give revelation. You lead us into all truth. Lord, as we read in Jeremiah, there was a tearing down and a pulling down so there could be a planting and a building up. And where we've had things in our thinking that have not been the truth of your word or your ways, we ask that you would remove those and that you would replace them and plant in us the truth that brings life. We trust you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. It says, what was written before, but whatever things were written before were written for our learning. Why are we starting there? Because I want to just make a point in passing, and that is this. For much of the church in the, the mid to late 1900s, there was a belief that was made popular through uh, the Schofield Study Bible, a dispensationalism, that basically said the Old Testament isn't relevant for us today. We're New Testament people. And what I want to say is that everything that was written is God's revelation of his way and, and his who he is and, and how he works. And so it's all for us. We want to be people who embrace the Bible, the whole Bible, and nothing but the Bible. Does that sound familiar? If you ever watch those legal things in the States, they, people put their hand on the Bible and say, I promise to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help me God, we say, okay, we want the Bible, the whole Bible, and nothing but the Bible. The Bible does talk about prophecy. It talks about God speaking today. But what we have to understand is that what God says today never contradicts what God has already said. And so the Bible gives us a framework. So we don't need to throw that out and say, oh, well, we have the Holy Spirit. We don't need the, the Bible. But neither do we need to say, hey, the Bible by itself means that we don't need the Holy Spirit. We need both. When we first uh, came here, prepared to start Redemption Hills, uh, God had spoken to us, the team that was starting, from Ezekiel 37 about life to dry bones. And there were three other churches around the world in praying for us. There were hundreds of churches praying for us, but three different ones who had the same prophetic words about God wanting to breathe life to dry bones. And so I want to kind of go back and revisit that. Some of you maybe haven't been here for that. But at the same time, I want to add to it the equipping of the saints. How do we help people come out of dryness into life? We need to, to do it. But then how do we help people? Many of us know people in that situation. 
So turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 37. I want to read it again from verse 1. The hand of the Lord came upon me and brought me out in the spirit. Hang on just a second there. I'm going to get sidetracked here. I love how the, the Bible talks about the Holy Spirit impacting us. It talks about the hand of the Lord came upon me or God touched me. It's funny how it never uses language that sometimes has become popular. God whacked me. God smashed me. Now, I understand when people use that language, what they're saying. They're saying I was actually overwhelmed by the Spirit, which is okay. But if we're going to be biblical, it's God touched me. The hand of God was upon me. Maybe it overwhelmed me. And I felt like it was a heavy hand. He was actually nudging me or pushing me. But God doesn't smack us. (laughs) Sometimes we misrepresent God when we have this idea that God's going to come up and whack Josh. God's going to smack you. Boo! Josh Josh would beat me up. I'm sorry, I got sidetracked there. I, yeah, I say that I try not to, but. Brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley, and it was full of dry bones. Now, when God spoke this to us, we hadn't actually come here to live yet. But we had this expectation that there was something in this area, that there was dryness for people. And it caused me to pass by them all around, and behold, there were very many in the open valley, and indeed, they were very dry. He said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? So I answered, Oh Lord, you know. I think uh, Ezekiel was a diplomat. He was a politician. Can these bones live? Yeah, well, I don't want to say no because it's God, but I don't think it can, so I'm just going to say, well, God, you know. (laughs) Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, surely I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. That word breath is the same word for spirit. In fact, in verse 14, I will put my spirit in you is the exact same word, just so you know that. And then you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a noise, and suddenly a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to bone. Indeed, as I looked, the sinews and the flesh came upon them, and the skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. There was no spirit in them. And he said to me, prophesy to the breath, or the spirit, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, or, or spirit, and breathe on these slain that they may live. And I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath came into them, and they lived and stood upon their feet, an exceedingly great army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They indeed say, our bones are dry, our hope is lost, And we ourselves are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, behold, O my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come up from your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. Then you shall know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves and brought you up from your graves. And I will put my spirit in you 
and you shall live. And I will place you in your own land, and you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken it and performed it, says the Lord. Wonderful expression. But let me give you a little bit of the background before we get into applying it. Israel in this time was actually captive in Babylon. He's prophesying to a people who were in captivity. And they had been taken into captivity because they didn't follow God's ways. In fact, he says that a number of times. I'm going to give you just a couple of them. But in, in the chapter just before we were reading, 36, verse 17, Son of man, when the house of Israel dwelt in their own land, they defiled it by their own ways and deeds. Verse 32, be ashamed and confounded for your own ways, O house of Israel. Basically, they're saying, we're going to do our own thing. We know better. Uh, Ezekiel 22, verse 26, her priests have violated my law and profaned my holy things, and that have not distinguished between the holy and the unholy. Nor have they made known the difference between the unclean and the clean. What's he saying? They've brought in man's ways and haven't made a distinction between God's ways and man's ways. Ezekiel 43. When they set their, verse 8, when they set their threshold by my threshold and their doorpost by my doorpost. That's weird, but he's actually saying they've brought in man's ideas of how the temple should be run and set it side by side and haven't made a distinction. And he goes on and say, with a wall between them and me, they defiled my holy name by the abominations which they committed. Therefore, I've consumed them. Now let them put their harlotry and the carcasses of the kings far away from me and I will dwell in their midst forever. Then he says this, Son of man, describe the temple, the house of Israel, that they may may be ashamed of their iniquities, and let them measure the pattern. They're ashamed that they have done. Make known to them to the design. He's actually saying, I have a way to do things. And we need to put aside human ways and come back to God's ways. Over in Isaiah, just two more, and then I'll tell you what all this is about. Chapter 30, verse 1 says, Woe to the rebellious children, says the Lord, who take counsel, but not of me, who devise plans, but not by my spirit, that they may add sin to sin, who walk to go down to Egypt and have not asked my advice to strengthen themselves in the strength of Pharaoh and and to trust in the shadow of Egypt. That's a little bit obscure until you read chapter 31, verse 1. He picks it up, he says, Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help. Rely on horses who trust in chariots because there are many and in horsemen because they are strong. And do not look to the Holy One of Israel nor seek the Lord. Verse 3. Now the Egyptians are men and not God. And their horses are flesh and not spirit. What's he saying? 
He's saying there is this thing where we can look to human effort rather than to God. We can look to man's ideas rather than to God's ideas. We can look to a human pattern rather than to God's pattern. And the result is that we end up in captivity. This scripture speaks to Israel, obviously, but it speaks to the church and it speaks to individuals. And I believe that's what God wants us to see this morning. I believe some people he wants to bring freedom, but for some, there's an equipping of how do we help people get free and stay free. There's a big difference. See, the Bible talks about an anointing, the spirit that breaks the yoke, but also about, talks about you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. There's two parts. There's something of God touching us that brings freedom and healing, but there's something about knowing the truth that keeps us free. See, if we get delivered from something that we've opened a door to the enemy so there's some way for some demon to come and affect us and we get delivered, but we don't close the door, we just end up more demonized later. That's what Matthew 12 says. Someone says, ah, I've got a spirit of lust. I need deliverance. And they get delivered, and God touches them and brings healing. But they've had opened a door because of pornography, and they go back to an open door of pornography, and they get worse. People can get healed. I'm talking about hurt. Maybe emotional hurt. Maybe in a bad, uh, from a, hurtful leadership in a church, but they stay in a situation that's the same. And they just end up more hurt. I've got, I'm in an abusive relationship, I need healing. Oh God, will you touch me and heal me? But I continue in the same relationship. It would take a deep breath. So here's the question. If God's bringing life to dry bones, what made them dry in the first place? What kills the life that we need something of the breath of God, the Spirit of God, to restore, to redeem, to revive? God comes and can touch us, but if we don't change the circumstances that cause the dryness in the first place, we just go back to it. What are those things? That's what I want to share with you this morning, and that's what I want to equip you to help other people see. Some of you have come to life in the last year again, but some of you know dozens, if not hundreds of people who are walking in that same place of dryness that you were. How do they get there? First and foremost, from the scriptures we just read, when there's no place for the Spirit. When we do things in human strength and understanding, whether it's a church or an individual. See, religion puts that on us. If you only would follow all these rules, things would change. 
and you follow the rules, but you're doing them in human strength. You're doing them with, with intent and will and everything, and you find out that in the process, all the life's gone. Because there's no place for the spirit. See, what Ezekiel 37 says is this, if there's no spirit, there's no life. Most of you know that. But see, if you remove the spirit from the circumstance, all you're left with is human effort. All you're left with is human strength. You find out, I can't actually do this in my own strength. So then when we, there's no place for the spirit, we end up following human ideas rather than a biblical pattern or ideas. We're getting counsel from people. We're reading books, but not the Bible. We're finding human ideas, and we're trying to impart those or work with those, but God's not behind those. He's behind his pattern. Proverbs 3, 5 to 8, says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. Well, but my understanding's pretty good. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. And then as we read Isaiah 31... What are those who go down to Egypt to rely on horses, but do not look to the Holy One of Israel, nor seek the Lord? We end up following human ideas, which leads us to a wrong focus. Our focus becomes people and not Jesus. It becomes man rather than God. Our whole focus becomes how do we help hurting people, which is wonderful. You want to help hurting people. But if your focus isn't on Jesus as the answer, you can't help hurting people. You just run out. Now, none of you have ever run out of strength or love or resources, right? Lord, I don't have grace for this. God says, my grace is sufficient. But I've got to get it from him. Because the truth is, I don't have grace for this. So our focus becomes man rather than Jesus. Our focus becomes church growth rather than kingdom advancement. How do we grow the church? How do we get these people to do what we want them to do? Then our focus can become excellence rather than a kingdom of priests. We have a very high standard for musicians here, unless your last name is Doty. No, <laughs> she actually has a very high standard. <laughs> that was a joke, for those of you who don't know me. But see, when our focus becomes excellence rather than 
a kingdom priest raising up others, then we say, okay, maybe Johann might be the best, so he's the only one who ever gets to do anything. Wow, someone else tries. Maybe they play the drums. Maybe Paul comes along and he plays the drums, but he's not Johann. Well, actually, he probably is better than, I don't know. <laughs> really, really bad illustration. I'm doing good. By the time we're finished, everyone's going to be upset with me. <laughs> oh, man, I really appreciate Paul's drum. No, I do. Uh, no, but what happens is that in many churches, you get trained and trained and trained, but never released. You can never do anything because there's always someone who can do it better. We're going to train you. <laughs> Hence, I won't be preaching for the next <laughs> six weeks because there's always someone who can do it better. But then that human focus also leads to a wrong structure. It becomes very hierarchical leadership model or a business mindset. And all that results from simply removing the Holy Spirit. Good intent. People's heart is good. They're wanting to glorify Jesus, but you take the spirit out of the equation and all they're left with is human effort, human intelligence, human ideas. Now, not everything human is terrible. It's not all wrong, but the problem is it's not life. So what we need to see is that the two things are connected. God breathes life by his spirit, but then he expects us to follow his ways to walk in truth. He breathes life, which is the spirit, and he expects us also to follow his ways, which is truth. We need to be fully spirit and fully word. We need to build God's ways. See, separating the two is why most revivals end. There's an outpouring of the Spirit of God, but too often we think that the outpouring of the Spirit of God is not because we're dead and we need life. We see it as a justification or an affirmation of our structure. Look, there's a, a moving of the Spirit of God. What I'm doing must be right. Not realizing God's just merciful and we're dying and he pours life anyway. And we say, oh, he's poured life. What I'm doing must be good. So I do get excited. Yeah. Bottom line is, if there's no new wineskins, eventually the wine is lost. Tim preached this in August. New wine needs a new wineskin. New outpouring of God but it needs a returning to a biblical pattern and truth. I know two guys in the States got hurt by leadership in a church, left the church. Eventually, they started their own church. But the problem is that they didn't recognize 
that the hierarchical model of leadership breeds insecurity in leaders, which is why they got hurt. They just thought if we distress the spirit enough, people won't get hurt. The problem is five years later, they had the same hierarchical structure, and now they were the people causing the hurt. They just reproduced. Was there something of God bringing healing in them? Yes, there was. But they didn't recognize that it's anointing and it's truth. So what does that mean for us? God is still breathing life to dry bones. Because of his love and mercy. He still breathes life to dry bones. People you know. He's healing the hurting, the disillusioned, the disappointed. He is still doing that, but he's the one who does it. It's not us as a church. Maybe you came here and felt something of the presence of God and you say, ah, I went to Redemption Hills and God brought life to me. And you tell people, if you'd only come to Redemption Hills, God will bring life. It's not Redemption Hills. It's Jesus. It's people who are trying to say, how do we build God's way? The best structure doesn't breathe life. The spirit breathes life. The best structure just keeps it from destroying the life. So we find the truth and we say, God, what is your pattern for doing the Bible? It's a kingdom of priests. It's everyone being filled with the spirit. Now, saying that everyone can minister doesn't bring life. It's the spirit who brings life. But saying everyone can minister means that when the Spirit brings life into you, you can continue to flow in that without it being shriveled up and dying, without it becoming dry. He's breathing life to dry bones, but he's also leading us into truth. A new model, our wineskin. We start out with a song this morning. It's Tough one to sing, but it has a wonderful prophetic word. And uh, we're going to do that again. And I'd like us to join in, not as it's not really a worship song, it's a prophetic declaration song. It's us declaring with the Spirit, God's still bringing life to dry bones. It's us saying, God, as you said to Ezekiel, prophesy to the Spirit, come, breathe life again. We're saying, God, come, breathe life again. Not just to us. The the height of selfishness is when God touches and heals me, and I just want to set in it, and I don't care about anyone else. God touches and heals me so that I can share that, and he can touch and heal others. This idea, I'm just going to sit here. That's wonderful. God pours life. But then we have the, uh, the privilege of sharing that life with others who are hurting.
please don't ever tell people, if you'd only go to this church, you'll get restored. Because it's not a church. It's Jesus. It's the life of his spirit. We're trying as much as we can to keep that the focus and to build according to his pattern. But like I said, the pattern isn't the life. The wineskin is not the wine. We can get so focused on wineskin. We try and do everything exactly right and we miss out on the spirit of God and we think that we have the wineskin. There's gonna be life and there's nothing. Wineskin without wine is dry. <laughs> Very. So I'm going to ask the, uh, Tim and the team if they'd come. We're going to try this. I'm going to ask you if you would, if you'd stand. And again, this is a declaration of what we believe God's doing, not only for us, but for others. But at the same time, if the situation in your life personally is that you're dry, God's still breathing life. Mm. He wants to breathe life by his spirit into you today. It's not just for someone else out there. It's not just for other churches in the city or the nation. It's not just for other people who are hurt, it's for us too. Maybe God's begun something, but it hasn't actually quite finished yet. Just allow him to keep blowing. Mm. Allow him to keep blowing by his spirit. Maybe you got to the point where there's something of new life in you, but you're not confident enough to share that with people who are dry. Maybe you're here this morning, and if you were honest, you're not walking with Jesus. You've gotten distracted. Circumstances or people or situations maybe have distracted you. And he wants to breathe life by his spirit into you this morning. We just allow him to do that. See, it's, he doesn't force. He doesn't come and say, I'm gonna beat you until you surrender. Now he says, I'm going to love you until you allow me to breathe life into you. Let's sing this as a uh, prophetic declaration.